Elevate your life with this episode of Lifestyle and Success with Dr. S. You are listening to Lifestyle and Success with Dr. S, a talk show to help you rise in business success while designing a life that you don't need a vacation from. To subscribe to the show and never miss a beat, head to Lifestyle and Success with DRS.com. Today's episode is coming up next. So today I'm super excited to have Helena Henderson joining us. She is the founder of Malibu Farm. They have locations all around the country. She started as a chef. She's going to talk to us about her journey. She's super humble, but I'm so excited to have her joining us because she has so much to share and she is a powerhouse over a huge brand. Helena, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, can you tell everybody, I mean, I love Malibu Farm. Every time I go to California, I'm from the East Coast, but whenever I go to California, that is my first place to go to get fresh juices and delicious food. I love the vibe, the atmosphere. And although I know you guys are coming to New York soon, I'd love for you to just tell everybody how you even got started as an entrepreneur. And then I'd love to hear the founding story of Malibu Farm. You know, sometimes I wonder where does things begin, right? Like, what is the start of something? Um, So it's almost hard to answer that question because I've been kind of off and on cooking my entire life, starting and stopping over and over again. So where does it start? I don't know. I ran a catering company first in L.A., uh, which was called Lavender Farms Catering. And that get to the point where I felt kind of lost. So I stopped catering and I went into private chefing and then I was doing that. And so it was all like a seed that was building. But I don't know that I had a super strong sense of direction at any point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I mean, what, what was that journey like of even thinking about getting involved in the food industry? I know you grew up in Sweden. So tell us a little bit about that. I grew up in Sweden. My mother was a waitress, so I started going to the restaurant where she worked. I honestly never thought I would end up in the food industry. It was just something that I kind of knew how to do. I didn't think I was particularly good at it. I certainly pursued many other uh, professions along the way. None of them that really uh, panned out. I don't know that I had a clear vision of who I wanted to be or what I could do. I always thought, you know, I should be, you know, a singer or I should be a basketball player. Because when you're uh, the only black girl in in the town where you grew up and you're really tall, every person is going to tell you, are you a singer or a (laughs) basketball player? And then when you can't do those things, you're just like, "Uh, I don't know who I'm supposed to be even. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nobody ever said, oh, you're good at cooking, you should go to culinary school. Like that, like never even was on any radar of mine. It Mm -hmm. was just something, you know, we did. My grandmother cooked a lot. My uncles were hunters and fishermen. You know, we were cooking for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And how'd you get from Sweden to California? What was that journey like? When I graduated from high school, I didn't really know what I wanted um, to do. And I did have an American passport because my father was American. Although I hadn't really spent any time with him, I did have the passport. So a lot of my fellow Swedes, they went to England as au pairs, was very super popular. 
I, because I had the American passport, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to America and maybe I can get a job or something. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, <laughs> I got on a plane with a one-way ticket and $500 and, you know, there you have it. Wow. Okay. And so you get to America and you have this cooking background. Did you ever feel like you needed to get formally trained as a chef or did you just kind of say, I'm really good at this and I have a passion for healthy food and so I'm just going to wing it and start a business? You know, when I first came to America, I was just kind of wandering around the streets, not knowing what to do. And I picked up some modeling jobs. I worked um, for some um, a lot of retail stores. I was doing some window display um, designing. And then I moved to California. I worked at a film production company in the title department for a bit. Um, so cooking was never on my foreground. It really just was something that I did for myself, looking to find a job in some other field. I, you know, I was cooking and then one day my friend, um, Donna, her husband had a production company that he had just started and they were having a, a dinner at their house. And then in the afternoon, right before the dinner, she cut her hand and she went to the emergency room to get stitches. And she called me and she's like, oh, Lena, I have this big dinner, 20 people coming to the house. I cut my hand. I can't do it. Can you go to the house? All the ingredients are there and then cook it. Right. And then I'll come once I come. So I just went there to help her out <laughs> to make this dinner. Mm-hmm. And that's really how my first catering company started. I could this dinner for her and it was like oh my god this is so great and then her husband had this production company and then he just started up and then he started hiring me to cook more dinners for his company and then before I knew it other people you know were hiring me to cook for them so I didn't really set out to start a catering company it really just happened because my friend cut her hand so Mm. (laughs) I'm sure everybody wishes that their businesses would just naturally evolve like that. I mean, that is incredible. But I also know that you have some serious talent having tasted, you know, a lot of your recipes. And so what made you fall more into like this juicing movement and this like organic foods, slow foods kind of movement? Uh, you know, I like to cook the, of course, the things that I like to eat. And I think probably one of my strengths is that I'm pretty much every woman. So my food, you know, what I like to eat or what I like to drink is going to align with a lot of other people. Mm. So sometimes I think that's to be average is you know, sometimes a benefit because yeah. you can with a larger uh, majority of, of, of people instead of being, you know, way ahead of a trend where sometimes, you know, maybe you're making things that are other people are not necessarily connecting with. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Now, I, ha- I have to ask the elephant in the room question, because when people hear of Malibu, they hear of celebrities, they hear of affluence. It is just like the place to be. And here you are, an immigrant coming from Sweden, landing in California, working your way up through a production company and a catering company. How on earth were you able to get the startup capital, the support and everything you needed to start your first Malibu farm location? You know, again, somehow I don't know how things happen. Honestly, it just like happens out of nowhere. I want, I, um, my husband always wanted to move to Malibu. So the day I met him, he was like, we're saving all our money and we're moving to Malibu. So 20 years later, we moved to Malibu to this funky little craftsman house. And I had gone into private chefing at the time and my private chefing uh, job was great. I, I only made dinner. So this was good. I, I had to be there at, you know, five o'clock, but I had my days free. 
So people in Malibu would be like, oh, I like your cooking. Will you teach us cooking classes? So I started teaching cooking classes out of my house. And in that beginning, it was just like five local moms. And then that spread to more and more women that came into cooking classes. And then I started doing um, dinners in my backyard. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was selling tickets online, right? Some people straight <laughs> coming to my house and I dinner in my backyard. I, I mean, honestly, now I'm thinking like, I, this is insanity, right? But anyway, uh, so that's what I was doing. And, but um, eventually I got shut down by the city of Malibu because I, I was running an underground restaurant without a permit <laughs> in my backyard. Don't do that at home, kids. <laughs> Exactly. So they should shut me down and they did. And then I had this product I was selling, right? Which was my dinners in my backyard and a pretty big online following, but I didn't have anywhere to hold the dinners. So I was always searching for um, locations. So I would try to take them to other, you know, farms or ranches around Malibu, but Malibu is a very small town. So there's not a lot of places to go. Mm -hmm. And then my husband read this article about the Malibu Pier that had been vacant for 10 years. All the businesses were closed down and he's a surfer. So he's always near there. And he's like, you should call them or email them and see if you can have a dinner on the pier. So when I reached out to them, it was really about having a one uh, night uh, dinner on the pier. And that conversation kind of spiraled into a six-month pop-up. So actually, my I almost used no money to open up. There was very little capital involved, and it was just a pop-up thing. And I still had a full-time job when I opened a pop-up because I assumed that it was going to fail. Wow. And what was that first set of traffic like, you know, when people really started to come in and the demand grew? When did you know that you had something that was a hit? You know, we opened and I was really clueless because honestly, I'd never worked in a restaurant. I worked in a restaurant when I was, you know, 16 years old in Sweden, but I'd never (laughs) worked in a restaurant in America. And we had like little square, um, we had iPhones and little uh, square readers, right? Mm-hmm. And the night before, um, my husband came by and he said, how does the kitchen know what to cook? And I was like, how does the kitchen know how to cook? Because <laughs> we didn't have any tickets. You know, I didn't know that a restaurant has tickets. So they print in the kitchen. So the kitchen sees <laughs> what to make. Right? No clue. I was like, oh, great. Um, so then last minute, we made like these little paper menus and people could circle. But there was definitely a lot about uh, restaurants that I didn't know. I was kind of running it um, like a catering operation. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it was like a catered event, not so much a restaurant. And I was thinking that I was going to, and I opened for breakfast and people were kind of laughing. They were like, why are you opening for breakfast? Like nobody's coming to the pier for breakfast. But in my mind, I was like, okay, if I'm open from nine to three, then I can be at my job in town at four o'clock and I can still keep my full-time job and that can pay for the losses that I'm going to incur at at the pier. So that was my mind frame. But then uh, certainly after the first day, I was like, whoa, I'm going to have to take a leave of absence. I'm obviously (laughs) not going to be able to go to my job in town after Mm -hmm. this. But I actually held on to my job. For the full six months of the pop-up, I didn't quit until um, until the pop-up was over and we we were going to stay a longer time. So mm-hmm. I was never super confident. You know, I'm always, I'm every day I'm still like, oh, is this like a real restaurant? Like, <laughs> we're going to work tomorrow? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, it's pretty real with all the locations you have. So, so the Newport Beach, I don't know if Newport Beach was directly after Malibu, but when did you know it was time to open up your next location? And how are you organized? Are you organized as a franchise or are, is every restaurant their own independent restaurant? How does that work? Um, so some of the ones out of state are licenses. 
Now, we definitely in the beginning did not have the confidence, you know, to open up more locations. So, but Newport Beach, that's ours. So we operate that. And we definitely got a lot more confidence after opening Newport. So we are signing and will be opening both San Diego and in Tiburon outside San Francisco uh, this summer, summer 22. Um, so we are moving away from licensing and into um, operations for sure. Wow. Okay. And when did you know that you were ready for that? How long did you wait before you started opening up new locations? Uh, well, we opened the cafe in 2013 and we opened in Lanai, which is a license, I think 2014, pretty early on. And then Newport opened in 2018, maybe 17. Okay. It's all a blur, frankly. <laughs> Time's flying, right? I mean, before you knew it, you had this huge thing on your hands. I mean, I'm wondering where you get your business savvy advice from, because it's not like you kind of jumped straight here and then started like, you know, engulfing yourself in business mentoring circles and, and all the things. It was just kind of like you had this amazing gift and talent and it just grew naturally. How did you know what to do once people started buying from you and it was time to scale? Who helped who helped put you put all of that together? I mean and definitely an instrumental person was uh, Mayor Tepper, who was one of the owners of Nobu. He actually lives in Malibu and mm -hmm. I don't know how he found this cafe at the end of the pier is a mystery to me, but he would come in as one of our very first customers. It's a counter service thing. And then one day, one of the cashiers were like, the mayor wants to meet you. And I'm literally thinking the mayor of what? Like Los Angeles? Like the mayor of Malibu? I don't know what they're talking about. And I'm a super awkward person. I'm socially, like I'm not, you know, I'm awkward. I'm socially very awkward. Um, so I go out to this table and I'm thinking this is the mayor or, you know, hello, my name is Helena. How can I help you? Right. And but his name is Mayor Tepper. But the way people say it, it sounds like mayor. Right. And then I didn't know who he was. And after he left, somebody was like, oh, that's the owner of Nobu. And he would come in all the time and have breakfast. And I would start to talk to him more. And then he's like, oh, I really like your restaurant. And I want to introduce you to some of my friends. So, you know, then his best friend is Larry Ellison, right? <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> like, like some idiot, you know, I'm like, hey, Larry, I'm like, I'm Nicholas. Um, so, um, so anyway, he, uh, he owns the island on Lanai. And then that's how that first license got started. So why do you keep going? I mean, you have a hit. Essentially, you can kind of just coast now, but you're still in it. You're still growing. You're still opening up new locations. Why is this work so important to you? I mean, I think one of the things I try to do, and I don't know that I succeed, but I try... I'm always an outsider. Like in my entire life, I am the ultimate outsider, right? I'm the only black person in the entire town where I live. I've never operated a restaurant in my world. I'm very easily intimidated. Like I don't like to go shopping. I feel very self-conscious often when I walk into a place, like I don't belong there. So one of the things I try very hard to do in my restaurants is to make them feel a little bit more inclusive. I feel like often farm to table uh, movement especially is very exclusive and not inclusive that is very intimidating for uh, many people I myself even today feel extremely intimidated if I'm walking into a restaurant that's more upscale I feel like I don't belong there so I 
I try to work very hard in making everyone feel welcome, even those people that wouldn't normally be drawn to a farm-to-table restaurant. So I, I try to reach outside of that more elite circle. Mm-hmm. And I think that that realness has really helped people to feel more comfortable. And because of that, you've grown so wildly fast. And I can attest to that. I mean, your place is super welcoming and it's just a really homey, cool vibe with some fantastic food. So here we are in the in the space of COVID and, you know, business has been booming for many people all the way up until 2019, 2020, you know, 21, well, 2020, 2021. And here we are in 2022, still dealing with this pandemic. How did you guys navigate that? I mean, you're in the midst right now of a huge expansion and a lot of people are closing their doors. And so what were some of the shifts that you made to continue to grow and thrive, even in the midst of these really trying times? I mean, for the the two leases that we did sign, they were kind of very far along when COVID happened. And I was definitely like, oh my gosh, should we pull out? That was very scary, but it was kind of moving so far along that we did still sign and pull forward on those. So I guess that's good. But it was certainly a little unsettling to be in the middle of those negotiations when that happened. As far as the COVID period, yeah, that was like, you didn't know if you were coming or going or what to do. We just tried to roll with the punches. The main thing we did try to do is keep as many of our staff employed as possible throughout the entire period and just figure out something to do. So there were some parts of it where we went to work on our at a farm because we have some local farmers here that needed help. So we're like, okay, let's just go there and let's... I don't know how helpful we were, but we went there every day and trying to help them unpacking their boxes and harvesting the produce and just trying to keep moving forward. So what advice would you have for women entrepreneurs out there who are like, I would love to launch my business someday, but I don't know if I have a skill, you know, kind of, I, I feel like you've modeled the Martha Stewart path a little bit in, in the same way, even though she doesn't necessarily have restaurants, but she kind of had that cooking and catering knack, and then it just spread like wildfire. And so for other women out there who are not quite sure if they have something that would spread like that, but they have the passion to do something amazing and to launch a business, what, what pieces of advice would you give them? I guess that you should definitely always try, but also sometimes when you feel like you're failing, you're actually, you may be learning more than you think you know. And when I was in private chefing, I really felt like a massive failure. I had run my other catering company, which was Lavender Farms Catering, but I'd gotten kind of just lost, where I didn't know what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be, what I wanted to cook, what I wanted to say. And I, I shut down my catering company. At the time, my husband was like, you are crazy. I, it's doing going pretty well. I was like, I can't do this another day because I don't see a path forward. Mm-hmm. And I went into private chefing and I felt like a mega loser when I was doing it because I was about to turn. I was almost 50 and I'm carrying this cooler to cook for this family of four, the mom, the dad, and the two kids. Half the time, the parents weren't home because they were very successful. So they're out for dinner, whatever, traveling. And I'm like making pasta with butter for the two kids, right? Mm. I'm like, wow, I just went for catering big parties at, you know, Barbara Streisand to I'm making pasta with butter for kids. Like I am (laughs) totally like a mega loser, right? Like, I don't even know, you know, where I go from here. 
but where I went from there was just like messing around with my cooking classes and my farm dinners and whatnot. But the biggest takeaway that I took from my catering years, which really came became important when I tried to open the restaurants, because when you're a private chef, the scale of success is very different than when you're a restaurant. If you're a restaurant, you're like, I'm successful because I'm on the eater hot list, right? That's mm-hmm. the definition of success when you're a restaurant. Mm-hmm. or whatever. You're in the New York Times, whatever it is. When you're a private chef, the definition of success becomes, does grandma eat your food? What mm-hmm. about Uncle Bobby from Atlanta that's visiting? What about XYZ, right? So the definition of success is very different private chefing because if the family you're cooking for doesn't eat your food, right, then mm-hmm. that's, and when you're dealing with a family, now you have the grandparents that are coming from out of town that are only eating maybe simpler foods, nothing spicy, whatever it may be, right? You got the kids that are, you know, maybe one is a teenager, one is a preteen. Well, what are they eating? You got a typical parents that are on one diet after the next, right? It's the gluten-free and then it's the paleo and then it's the Atkins or whatever it is. And you have to try to figure out how you're going to serve something up that that family is going to eat. So when I made my menus, I'm always sitting around going, okay, well, Uncle Fred from Atlanta, who's never been to a farm-to-table restaurant, is going to be here with his extended family. What does he eat on the menu? What does the 14-year-old eat? What does grandma eat? What does my mother eat? And I always try to make sure that the menu has room for those items. And I feel like sometimes when you go to a restaurant, it's never thinking of that. And so, uh, you know, my mother has passed away, but when she was here and, and I would take her half the time she couldn't find anything to eat on the menu, right? My younger son is a vegetarian and he's very picky because he likes very specific things and he can't find anything to eat. So I'm like, and that's still true today. So one of the things I always try to do is that takeaway that not everyone that's coming to your restaurant is 35 to 55 year old foodie. No, a lot of the people that are coming to your restaurant is the parents of, the grandparents of, the kids. And how do we create a menu that also includes them and so they have something to eat of that and that was a takeaway that I got from the period where I thought I was failing the most which is when I was private chefing so it's like that thing right you think you're totally failing you think you're a mega loser but everything that you need to learn to become successful you may be learning when you think you're not Mm, that was powerful yes everything that you need to know you may be learning when you think you're not Never discount that. That was so powerful. What has been your greatest win so far? My greatest win? Wow, I have no no idea. I mean, I don't know. Every day I wake up and think, wow, do I have a restaurant? Like, geez, you know, I kind of still in disbelief. I would say when I feel the most proud is when I find the dishwasher or whoever back of the house that normally would just be eating chips and steak. <laughs> beans, putting raw Brussels sprouts on it, that, that, oh my God, I am succeeding. <laughs> I, I harass them endlessly about eating healthier. So when they see me coming, they all run and put salad on their plates. And I consider that my greatest accomplishment for sure. <laughs> I love that. Alina, you know, this has been such a pleasure having you on the show. If you could look back and give your 10-year younger self any piece of advice, what would it be? 
I mean, probably that you're not as dumb as you think you are, and not everybody needs to be a singer or a basketball player, and that's okay. Then mm. <laughs> that's okay. I love when people try to limit us, and then it's like, nope. I know what my gift is, and I'm gonna give my gift room to grow because you are far more successful doing this than you ever would have been as a basketball player. I'm just assuming, but who knows? I, I can catch the ball to help my to save my life. So you know. <laughs> How can our audience find and support you? Well, we're on Instagram, of course, Malibu Farm. You can go on our website. There's a bunch of contact numbers. I'm usually on the pier almost every day. I'm a morning person, so you'd be more likely to find me between the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. than you would at night. I am not a late night person. And yeah, come see me. <laughs> Beautiful. Helene, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I can't wait to have you back. Thank you for having me. And uh, come see me next time you're in town. Totally, we'll do that. You are listening to Lifestyle and Success with Dr. S, a talk show to help you rise in business success while designing a life that you don't need a vacation from. To subscribe to the show and never miss a beat, head to Lifestyle and Success with DRS.com. Thank you.